Our show is currently entirely funded by our patrons at patreon.com slash sword and laser. Thanks to all the folks who back our show. If you would like to support the show that way, head to patreon.com slash sword and laser. And we are very excited to welcome author Daniel H. Wilson on the show today to talk about his brand new app, Mayday Deep Space. Hey, thanks for having me. So normally we kick things off with a segment called What Are We Drinking? Um, We don't typically do it for author interviews, but I kind of forgot that we were having an author interview tonight and not a regular episode. Um, Just, you know, learned, learned response. Um, So I'm drinking uh, two buck chuck because I'm classy like that. Is it still $2? It's $2.99, I think. Yeah, yeah. So just Mm -hmm. barely gets to keep it in. Tom, what are you drinking? I'm having some old leftover water from today's Daily Tech News show earlier today it's not very exciting cool and daniel uh i'm drinking coffee out of my favorite mug with my mini human that i made on the side of it yeah that's awesome that's did you also knit him that adorable sweater (laughs) uh all of his clothes are inherited from other children so this other kid is like a cousin of a friend of ours and he's apparently quite the jock so my kids got all kinds of like Cool jock sporty outfits, which that Go and like old, old Guatemala t-shirts from when I was a kid too. It's all recycled. You know, I nice. don't know why, but I'm having a flashback. I feel like maybe we discussed this at some point, or maybe I talked about it with someone else. But the idea of someone like ourselves, who are very, um, you know, on the nerdier end of the spectrum, on the geekier side of things, we like, you know, robots and engineering and sci-fi and fantasy. Is there that fear that your child will then rebel against that line of thinking and go full jock? Yeah, there is. I try to use the soft touch. Like, I don't get super excited whenever they, like, get you know, but then again, I, I like built them a spaceship in a basement, you know, a little spaceship simulator. And how can you not? I mean, they're nuts for it. So I just expose them to as much uh, good stuff as I can and then hope, you know. But genetically, it's very unlikely that I'm going to end up with jocks. I, I just don't really see that in their future. <laughs> I thought of that with the movie Boyhood uh, that Richard Linklater just released last year where they shot it over 12 years and they start with a seven-year-old child and like, and, and they, they, he had basically structured the plot to, you know, to, with the idea that this kid would grow up being kind of artsy. He was from artsy parents, but who knew, right? Like he might've just like mm-hmm. been tired of the whole thing before it was over 12 years later. You just never know. Turned out he wanted, he liked photography. So. Yeah, I just hope they'll do whatever they want and, you know, not get killed. <laughs> That's, That's my main goal, to keep them alive. <laughs> That's definitely a good plan to start with, but we're, we're digressing, so I apologize. Yeah. For, for those who don't know, of course, uh, Daniel is a contributing editor, popular mechanics, best-selling author, and you've written some fantastic books, including How to Survive a Robot Uprising, Where's My Jetpack, How to Build a Robot Army, and, of course, best-selling Robopocalypse and its follow-up Robogenesis, but you just put out an app, and that's the main focus of today's interview, uh, Mayday Deep Space. Did it just come out this week? Yeah, it came out on January 7th. So uh, it's kind of a pet project or like a passion project. I mean, I don't have a ton of money to develop apps, but I have some friends who 
uh, were getting into the business, and I had always had this idea for this to use speech recognition in an app to tell this story, and like uh, it all just kind of came together. And you know, the result of not really having all the funds to just have it done means that it took two years uh, for it to come together. <laughs> but so yeah, it's been a long time coming, and it finally came out on the seventh, and it's only been a few days, uh, and you know. I'm excited to talk about it. <laughs> well, what was the process like for you? Did you did you have a developer in mind? Did you have a story in mind? Uh, what, was, what was sort of the tell us about those two years, the order of events? Yeah. Well, so all right, like if we start at the very beginning, it goes back to when I was at Carnegie Mellon. I was studying speech recognition, and I was like really into just how to make it work. You know, I co-published this paper on. Essentially, back then, what you had to do was trick human beings into talking really simply so that you would be able to, so that the speech recognizer would be able to understand what you were talking about because it wasn't feasible to just recognize anything that a person might say. Um, and then over the years, I kind of watched the speech rec get better and better and better and realized that there could be an awesome game in this. And kind of for me, the, the big version of that game was from watching the movie Aliens where the commander is in that low armored personnel carrier and they send all the marines in t- uh, into like a total, I mean, they all just eat shit in there, right? But he's, <laughs> he's looking at their shoulder cams and he's looking at their physiological signs, right? And so you have this big bank of monitors and, and, and the guy in the APC, who sucks and is terrible but and gets everyone killed, but he has got access to the ship's like diagnostics, you know, and so he knows where the aliens are going to come from and all this. And so he's sending these commands. And I, I mean, I've always thought that's a game, right? And then over the years, my little brother became an airline pilot. And he can do this thing where he just starts talking like an airline pilot. So he's a normal guy, blah, blah, blah. And then he'll just say, like, you know, like uh, Delta One Niner coming in, you know, the way they talk, right, yeah, over yeah. the radio. And there's Delta like this, one niner, we're going to be making our approach coming into SFO, and uh, exactly. blah blah. You know, we're we're got some clear conditions here at San Francisco today. Request altitude change. Anyway, and I, and I thought, you know, how awesome would it be to watch a person playing a game on the couch where they're controlling like a squad of Marines, and they're all and the Marines are fucking screaming, and there's like b- guns are going off, people are getting freaked out, and. And they're just like alpha, reinforce beta, like you know, beta, seal the door, you know, gamma, and just I just imagine this as being an amazing game. Like you're keeping a cool head while everyone's going nuts. And what it required is really good speech recognition and and AI. And those are like my two favorite things ever, uh, and two things I don't really get to do much of ever since I started you know writing for a living. So I wanted to do that. That would cost like five hundred thousand dollars, right? Um, so I thought, okay, what can I do for like $5,000? And that w- required stripping the idea all the way down to its most basic uh, interface, which is one character, ship diagnostics, uh, you know, semi, a, semi-autonomous character, and, and you basically give commands about where to go. And as this person explores the ship, uh, they're talking, they're describing the environment, um, and, and you learn the story through that, you know? Um, it's a lot like Zork, but an audio version. Um, mm-hmm. And in fact, I, the, one of the co-creators of Zork emailed me in one of my like 
you know, one of my geekiest, most exciting moments. I was hopping around the house, and I was telling everyone, Mark Blank just emailed me. He says this is like what they were doing in the 70s at, at MIT, you know, whenever they were making Zork. Um, and so it's, it's really fun to be able to kind of like re re release this and realize that nobody else has done anything exactly like it, um, mainly because we've been waiting on speech recognition to get good enough. It's not like no one's ever thought of this before. It's just that maybe now's the time to tell this type of story. You know, it's funny, too, because I, uh, in playing it, 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 you can see some of the commands that you're supposed to give um, give the, the, the character, the gameplay character, as you're going along. Um, but you have to kind of be paying attention to what they are. And so I just started yelling commands, and so they wouldn't work, of course, because they're not the right commands. And so it adds that element of panic where you want to tell them the right thing so they don't die. Yeah. <laughs> and so you're like screaming at the phone. And then you're like, this is not how a successful mission would work. Like, turn right, turn calm. right. No, the other right. Yeah. <laughs> so it adds, it kind of adds an element to the, the suspense, to the, uh, you know, the survival horror feel well, of the game this is, a little bit. Yeah, that's the basic mechanic. Like, I've noticed that people, a, a ton of people have like, they get it, which I didn't know if anybody was going to like get it. And, and the thing that you got to get from this game is that it's not entirely a game it's also like a partnership you're not that character mm -hmm. so we're used to having like instant control over our characters in our games right you turn the the you turn your thumb they turn their head you are the person well this isn't like that this is a partnership you're not there you're telling him what to do and so there's that layer of abstraction and people who play a lot of video games i think they find it more annoying because it's outside of their of what they're used to doing. They're used to getting like that instant control. Well, you don't have instant control. Like this guy's afraid. He's on a dark ship. The lights, you know, our emergency lights are lit up. It's dim. There's zombies everywhere. Uh, he doesn't always hear you. He sometimes just starts running when he gets scared, you know. Um, so, so you have that layer of abstraction. And yeah, I think it can it can create an emotional sort of response in the player, sometimes you're just frustrated, you're, you're annoyed because the game's not fucking working, but then also sometimes you're, you're scared for the guy and like, and you know, and sometimes you don't want to talk because you just want to hear and, you know, and be part of the atmosphere of the game. Right, well, people were comparing it to a, a combination of audiobook and video game, and I really see where it kind of intersects between those two worlds, because like you mentioned, you don't have full control of the character, and yet you do have some input there, so it's kind of bridging those two worlds from being a total observer, uh, someone experiencing this world as it's, it's being given to you, like you would with an audiobook, for example, versus a video game where you have 100% of the control over the character. Yeah, and that, well, that's the other thing is it's like people's concepts of, of what they get off of, off of like the app store vary. So if you're getting a game, people expect to be able to play a game for like the rest of their life for a dollar and it better be like you better be able to play it forever. And then if you download a short story or a novella, you expect to read it for two hours and then it's over forever. And if you read it again, it'll be the same book, you know. So that's another you know, kind of thing that we're running into with this being a hybrid is people's expectations of a video game is that they should play it forever. And so since this, there's four outcomes, you can play it four times and get different outcomes at the end. But ultimately, you know, it adds up to about four hours or maybe a little less as you get better at the game. You can get through it faster. So 
that's like about like a novella, a long novella, um, but it's not like one of those video games. So it's interesting as people people have to kind of like figure out like wait, this is something new. It violates their expectations in some ways, and it kind of exceeds their expectations in other ways. But and and if people are having a hard time picturing this, it, it's uh, it's a it, you're on your phone, your mobile device, uh, maybe your tablet, and you're looking at a map. And you're talking, you press a talk button to talk to the character, but the character is just a dot on the map that you can see moving. Uh, and then every once in a while, the character is talking to you and telling you things. Occasionally, you'll run across recordings that are played back that you can hear. <laughs> so the story is told mostly first person, go. right? <laughs> yeah, so let me see. I'm going to. I was trying to see if I held up my game to the screen and then held up my <laughs> yeah. earbud, if you could give controls to my character. Oh, I bet, yeah. You want to try it? All right, so I'll unplug this here, and then I'll say resume. When you were talking about the responsiveness, though, okay, let's hear. Are you ready? Yeah, try it. Go. Did you push the button? You have to push the button. Oh, right, I have to push the button, right. I don't know if I can push it. (laughs) And and hold it it towards the camera for him. All right, let's see. All right. Button is pushed. Go. Oh, he's facing the wrong way. Can you push it again? Yes, I'm holding it down. Go back. Oh, he's going. No, you got to let go of the button so he'll do his thing. Let me put the screen on me. This is like, if you're not watching the video right now, you're like, what the hell are you idiots <laughs> talking about? Okay. All right. So It is cool it. how he doesn't, he doesn't, he's not a dumb dot. All right, I'm going to push the button. Ready? Go back. Yeah, I think this is too hard. It's, yeah, I think it's too Let complicated just, for him. I'll just do mine real quick. So you just basically hold it up, and then you push the button to talk. Go. And then what's cool, and this is another thing people don't get, is he just wanders around. Like, <laughs> you don't have to tell him every little thing. Like, he'll just kind of, like, start cruising. <laughs> it took me a while to get used to that because as as somebody who plays games, you're like, I press the arrow key, the dot does what I tell it to, and that's it. Yeah. And I started, especially when you go around curves, and you, I would start to say turn left, and he'd be like, oh, I guess I'll turn left into the wall now. Why, why are you telling? Like Because to him, go forward meant follow the curve like it yeah. would to a normal person. I thought that was really cool. That was the thing that blew me away. The, the company that developed this, my buddies in, here in Portland, are called Mountain Machine Studios. And I totally expected this to be like square, you know, like everything would be left, right. And then when they gave me that map, it's full of curved hallways and circles and like amazing, beautiful shapes. And it's also, you might notice, uh, modeled after the Millennium Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you can I didn't notice that. that. Nice. It's long. Uh, anyway, but uh, yeah, I was like, how the hell are you going to program that? How's he going to walk through those halls without bonking, you know? And they did it. I mean, it looks good. So did you, um, I, I don't know how much of a video gamer you are, but it really gave me kind of almost a Dead Space vibe. Yeah, um, man. <laughs> I think it's just being in space, survival horror, like, you know, that feeling of dread that I inevitably get playing one of those games. I definitely had that vibe. Oh, I was totally drawing on, I love, love all the Dead Space games, and I've played them multiple times from beginning to end, you know, just to get, just to play with every weapon. I've never gotten the foam finger. I mean, that requires, like, a playthrough where you don't die, and my love for the game is not matched by my ability to play the game, um, 
but uh, but I've played so many of those, and definitely I was kind of channeling a Dead Space feel. Um, part of what I love about that game is you don't have a you're, it's totally situational, so it's easy to role-play it because you're not a soldier or whatever. You're a guy who just happens to be in a really shitty situation, mm-hmm. um, and, you, and you're using, like, a tool that's normally not used to kill aliens. Um, and so it's kind of similar, you know, in that this guy, you don't kill the bad guys, you know. It's more about exploring and learning the story. And so how much... Alive. How much actual writing did you have to do? You keep you you mentioned several times uh, that it's almost like novella length. But is there about how many words did you end up writing in terms of of dialogue or or directions? Let me open it this? up real quick. I'm um, just curious. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I, I have no idea. So here's my script drafts folder. I wrote it in Final Draft, which is makes it a little hard to determine. Um, yeah. So. First of all, it required a ton of drafts because I didn't really, uh, it was sort of new. I didn't get how to write it, like how to write the decision points. And, and so I start, started out writing it in Word, and it looks like it's, um, oh, Word is slowly loading. Uh, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Story of Word's life. While, yeah. I grabbed my Millennium Falcon Haynes manual just so I could look at the... Uh... The maps. I don't know so if you, you could can cheat and look at the maps and know where to turn. That. It doesn't. Re- it's not. It's not. It's based on. It's not the identical, yeah. but I can definitely it. see uh, the inspiration there with the rounded corridors and everything. That's pretty awesome. <laughs> um, I wrote it in five acts, and uh, you know, it's like fifty or sixty pages or something. So it's about like a uh, like a cable TV drama um, length. What's fun is for the launch party, I had a party at my house, and I had Osric Chow here, who did uh, is an actor was on Supernatural and um, was Kevin Tran, and he was the voice actor that did the main voice, and then also I had some voice actors from Grimm, the TV show, which is filmed in Portland. So I'm like, they're all cool. They're all at my coffee shop, and I'm like, do you guys want to be in a really weird science fiction game? Um, so I got Bitsy Tullock, who's the girlfriend of David Mutioli, who's uh, the main Grimm, and then also Claire Coffey, who is a hexen beast, a very scary monster in Grimm. Anyway, so they all came to my party, and me and Osric put green tape all on the floor, you know, to create rooms, <laughs> like a simulation <laughs> of the map. And one of my favorite things that Mountain Machine did was to, to, to show you where the corpses are on the ship. There's just little don't smoke signs, you know. Green ones for good guys that are dead and red ones for infected that are dead. Um, so we have so my house for a while had lots of little like <laughs> green don't smoke signs around us. <laughs> anyway, uh, maybe that sounded cooler in my head than it did when I said it out loud. No, actually, one of, I'm sad that I wasn't there. That no, I awesome. think it'd be fun if you did a party and then you had to give everyone directions to get to the to get <laughs> yeah. to the you know. You want a drink? Yeah, sure. Go right. Go. <laughs> Run now faster! Run! run. The, you know, one thing to remember when you're playing is that if you say go back, he'll turn around and go the other direction. Because it's so annoying to say turn left, turn left, go. Um, anyway. Okay. Oh, no, yeah. I, I do I a lot of stop, out. turn around. So, but I guess yeah. I don't have to stop. I can you just... can just say go back and he'll st- he'll turn right around. Gotcha. But, um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that party was crazy. It was really, really fun. My favorite part was... Um, so in Portland, we have the Trailblazers, who are an NBA team, and Robin Lopez is a total nerd. He's like the seven-foot-tall center for the Trailblazers. He has a brother named Brooke Lopez who plays for the Nets, and uh, 
he's always nerding out, and he's the one who attacks all the mascots. So he came to the party to check out this game. And it was like, there was like this seven foot tall dude like in the living room, <laughs> you know, playing Mayday. Um, it was it was like an awesome moment. I was just like, I love, I really do love Portland. Um, so you're a, a robotics engineer. Did you, you, you studied that in college, right? Yeah, I, uh, I went to college at the University of Tulsa and studied computer science. And then for grad school, I went and studied robotics. Mainly, I, I went to Carnegie Mellon. They actually had a de- like a robotics department. They didn't call it electrical engineering or or computer science or anything like that. They actually just have robotics, and I was always very impressed by that. <laughs> I know that you. We were talking before the show that you are tired of being asked when the robots are going to kill us uh, by everyone. Uh, but when are they going to? I can't us? really get tired of it, you know, because <laughs> it's sort of my niche. Um, the day I get tired of that, it's like then it's going to be over for me. But um, I'm not really that afraid that robots are going to kill us. But when are they going to kill us? When are they going to kill us? How long do we have? Well, okay. So, like, if I'm thinking seriously about, like, robots being dangerous, uh, I think the real dangerous part is, like, robots as consumer products, you know, autonomous tools that are going to come into our house. I mean, okay, there's a lot of potential for problems there, right? Especially if you think about how people just get killed all kinds of ways on all kinds of products, you know, like yeah, if you design a toaster or a juicer or anything in the kitchen, like somebody's going to get killed on it. Somebody's I've seen Orphan like, Black. I fear disposals. <laughs> oh, no. Is that a thing on Orphan Black? Oh, I'm not going to watch it anymore then. There's I never want to see that. Too. There's also The Blob, the, the 80s version of The Blob oh, with about the disposal. That's my nightmare. No, Sorry, it reminds bad. me of The Raft, too. Do you remember The Raft uh, was one of the three tales from... The Dark Side, I think, or it was a Stephen King story, and the, the the blob pushes up through the cracks and pulls the person through the raft, and the guy's leg is like all yeah. straight up. <laughs> anyway, yeah, no, that's inevitably going to happen uh, once robots get into our homes. Don't trust Roomba. Um, now I'm more scared of blobs, various blobs, <laughs> and than actual robot takeovers. Stay so away I from think the trains. Yeah, stay away from trains at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, but yeah, you know, and then of course there's all the privacy stuff and the, and the ways that people are going to figure out how to rob our houses and stuff. Um, but I think you know the benefits outweigh the risks uh, mm. for the most part. I think you know most of these like like robot uprising scenarios they require the singularity. Like that's the first thing that has to happen. You know, so. You know, all those humanoid robots are pretty wimpy. You know, I'm not afraid of Azimo. I'm not afraid of 50 Azimos. I would whoop 50 Azimos' asses. Like, just run up some stairs seem- and they'll slow them <laughs> yeah. down. Right, yeah. You just push them over, you know? Okay. Um, so the real problem is whenever you get the singularity, whenever you get a super intelligent AI, right? So that's the real thing to sort of be afraid of, I guess. And that's the thing that's really, really hard, And you know? I don't see that coming anytime soon. So. Well, that's a relief. Um, yeah. we, have, we have questions from uh, one of our viewers. Sky wants to know, um, it seems like we're at an exciting crossroads of being able to incorporate great storytelling with technological innovations that make games more immersive. So where do you, Daniel, see this headed in the next five years? Dude, I know what I want to do with Mayday. Like, so, I mean, I already described like the big crazy version of it where you're directing multiple characters. I mean, so, so what I want is to build on the speech recognition side and to build on the AI side, right? I mean, I see a future where we're interacting with uh, 
AI characters, NPCs, who are like capable of fooling us into thinking that they're that they're totally convincing, that they really are part of that world, you know. Um, right now, they're not convincing. You know, they tend to be pretty dumb and lame. <laughs> um, and you don't really feel bad about shooting them with arrows or whatever Dark Brotherhood quest you're on. <laughs> yeah, Dark Brotherhood. Um, Sorry. Mm-hmm. Oh, Skyrim nerdy but, um, there for a uh, second. I've got the Oculus thing, and unfortunately, Vorpex made Skyrim uh, make me puke. And so... I was looking forward to that so much. But, but so, so what I want to see are real emotional interactions with NPCs, essentially. Um, I want to calm down an NPC. I want to, like, inspire people. I want to give, like, a Braveheart speech and then watch my team go whoop your team's ass because I was, like, socially better at my job, you know? Um, I mean, that, those kind of interactions are, are coming, right? And that's an improvement on two levels. We've got speech recognition, which right now just recognizes exactly what you said. But what about the emotional content of what you said? What about the humor content? What, can it tell if you're making a joke or being clever? Are you, did you say it in a profoundly dumb way, or did you say whatever you said you know, in a smart, clever way? Like, there's so many other facets of speech recognition that are out there you know, that people are working on. Um, and then, of course, the AI, right? Can we model uh, emotional states in a way that's fun, you know, in a way where, where you can have those really cool, complex interactions? Um, and I think we will, you know, and, and, and those are going to lead to some really freaking cool stories. Um, and it's going to lead to, like, Bill Paxton going, game over, man, game over. And you're like, get your shit together, Bill. You know, like, you've got to get out there. And like, you know, you, we're going to be on our couches, like, shouting at our TVs and having the time of our lives. Uh, we will be scaring our children. It's going to be awesome. No, they'll be totally used to it. It'll be second nature because kids absorb this shit so fast. Yeah, they'll be rolling their eyes at us for being too. Yeah. yeah. You know, I noticed yeah. what I'm doing recently, like, which is kind of super nerdy, is whenever we watch Netflix uh, via at Xbox all the time. So my Ryan, my husband, sets it up. And then when I come sit down and join him and the Xbox says hello to me, like it's become this thing where now I'm like, oh, hey. And I'm like, why am I talking so, to my Xbox? Oh, yeah, what's up? Oh, hey, how's it going? It's like, hi, Veronica. And Shh, just, Ryan's watching it's, Xbox. We'll talk later. No, don't talk. Don't talk. Well, this is like something you figure out if you – I mean, so like some people, their job is to, to figure out how to do face recognition or speech recognition. And w- the first thing that you figure out when you do a job like that is it's super easy for people to do. And the reason it's super easy for people is because we have, like, a ton of machinery in our brain that's devoted to interacting with other human beings. And so on the good side of that, it's really easy to build a product that's going to take advantage of all that momentum we have. And then it's very natural for us to say hello to something, anything, that says hello back. And and that's what I was counting on with Mayday. I, you know, like, there's those experiments where if you smile in the mirror and just force yourself to smile, it, your body actually like releases some of the endorphins or whatever associated with feeling happy. It's a mechanical thing. You know you're not happy, but you smile and it happens. Um, I was wondering if that's how it would be if you talked to somebody. Even if you knew I'm talking to a character on my iPhone, it's not a real person, but just the physical act of speaking, is that going to create more of an emotional relationship you know, with this character? 
And I, I felt I feel like it will. I don't know if Mayday necessarily pulls it off. Um, probably does more than if you just hit the buttons. I, I would say you certainly, if you did like a study where you had 50 people play the game through with buttons, which you can use buttons, you've got to slide the panel to the side, and then you had 50 people play the game where they spoke, probably 50 people would have stronger feelings about the guy. Mm. They might hate him, or they might like him, you know, but whatever. They'd probably care more. It's Osric. I mean, you got to like Osric, too. Don't hate Osric. He's, yeah. he's a sweet guy. It would be tough to... You know, hey, I, lo- I love what you're saying about uh, advancing AI. I love the idea of being able to like just chat with my non-player character. You know, try to calm him down or or get him on my side to go on a quest or something. Uh, a lot of this stuff feels like it fits into into video games. Do you see any applications, or have you thought of any applications that land more on the storytelling side, more more on the one way side, because even though, even though video games are great ways to tell stories, we still tend to say, well, that's a book, that's a video game, that's a movie. Movies yeah. and books tell us stories. Video games let us take place in them. I don't think you can take, at this point, the story out of video game. So if, you know, if you're thinking about what am I getting out of this video game, and it is like this emotional experience because you have a guy who's scared or he's just seen his best friend get his face ripped off and you've got to convince him to walk through the door or he's going to die, right? Well, like, does that sound like collecting points or unlocking an achievement or any of the sort of abstract rewards that we've previously associated with video games? Well, no, right? You don't read a book in order to accumulate points or to get on a leaderboard. You read the book for the emotional experience. It's the same with a movie. And I think video games are moving into that domain. And, you know, the thing that... So I've always idolized novelists, right? I've always thought, growing up, man, people who write science fiction novels in particular, what I've always loved, you know, but, but also great literature, you know? It's like these people are like the creme de la creme of artists. But then I started thinking about it recently, and I realized... Actually, like, writing novels is not that old, you know? We've been writing novels for, like, a couple hundred years or something. It's, it's not that long. Like, the real form, modern form of a novel, which comes post-printing press and, you know, after people were just copying the Bible over and over again, disseminating it, like, it's not that old. So why should it be such a surprise that the way that we tell stories totally depends on our tools? You know, we get a printing press, suddenly we've got a way to disseminate stories to lots and lots of people. So this new form of becoming a novelist, like, springs up and people become venerated and, and we have heroes that have been dead for 200 years, but, and it seems like this amazing thing, but we get new tools, what do we use them for? To tell stories. That's all, I mean, that's what we are, that's what we do as human beings. So, like, you know, I feel like, as the video, as the capabilities of a video game and computers and everything mature, we're going to see more familiar story come out of it, and and the idea of points and achievements and things like that, you know, that might prove to have been a fad, you know. Mm. Well, I think I think a lot of video games are are definitely going that path already. I mean, we talked about Skyrim and something like Dragon Age Inquisition, or mm-hmm. or you know any game where you're effectively making choices for your character that that change the storyline down 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 the line. I think that's 
it, it, it definitely is more of a storytelling mechanism, I think, than, than anything else, or we're, we're finding our entertainment in that style of gameplay and, more and more. And frequently. I like, you know, it's funny, though, because, like, you think of Skyrim or Mass Effect, right? Like, in Skyrim, I want to role-play a character, but I also want to complete the game. So, like, I always play good characters, and then Dark Brotherhood makes me do terrible things. In fact, I have friends who are way more sensitive than me who, like, I, I did it, buddy. I killed him. You know? and I'm like, what'd you do? Tell me, tell me what happened. Start from the beginning. You know, it's like, last night, the Dark Brotherhood. You know, and it's like, that goes against my sort of story. It would be like if you're watching a movie, and then, like, Bruce Willis just you know, didn't have any particular character. He just did everything, you know. He, he saves one person, he kills another person. It's hard to, like, get behind that, you know. Mm. Um, in Mass Effect, you're also, you know, from a completionist standpoint, you know you can't be a paradigm and also whatever, the, a renegade. A renegade, so yeah. So you tend to just go for one or the other because you, you have that points mentality. I want all my points as a paradigm. And then you don't end up playing a very realistic character. You're like a total white hat or a total black hat, and neither one is very common, you know, in the world. Mm -hmm. And it kind of like, I feel like it works against the story, the role-playing, you know. Um, and I'm looking forward to like when the point and the completionist and all those video game mechanics get a little more divorced from the underlying story so that you can like cruise through a game, have your game, have your character fall out of it, have real emotional twists and turns that make sense, and then just be happy with it. And oh, then but then God forbid the game does not end the way you want it to because then yeah. it's a whole different kind of shit you show. Know, I get that because if you watch a movie, you invest two hours or something, and the movie takes a left turn and it turns into a piece of shit and you're like, you're bum. Or like a guy walks too close to an alien and it makes no goddamn sense and it like climbs up his arm and breaks it and you're like, okay, I'm checking out. That doesn't make any sense what you just did. Two-hour investment versus like an 80-hour investment. You spend like 80 hours on something like, and then you get to the end. And, I mean, that's, I mean, I, as a video game maker, you better honor that right <laughs> yeah gotta have the the payoff at the end for sure but man yeah. i could talk about this for a really long time maybe we need to have the uh the veronica daniel video game hour at some point because that <laughs> would be that would be very good for me uh but daniel thank you so much so people can download the app at maydayapps.com that is correct yeah and are you sticking to ios for now or are there any plans for android expansion in the future I'm hoping to expand it to Android in the future, but again, like this is a passion project with buddies, and I just didn't have enough dough to do both at, <laughs> at once. So um, Android in the future right now, it's just uh, on the iOS. And any new books coming out in the Robopocalypse universe anytime soon, or what else are you working on? Uh, so right now I'm writing a uh, screenplay for Lionsgate called Alpha, which is like a science fiction survival thing. It's freaking awesome um, and that's through plan B with like Brad Pitt producing and so that's really exciting um, but I'm also I'm writing for DC Comics lately so I have a weekly series called Earth 2 World's End where we're killing everybody <laughs> um, no not everybody's gonna die but it's it's very apocalyptic um, and it's like a lot of big stuff happening um, it's that's me and Marguerite Johnson and, and I'm sorry Mike Johnson and Marguerite Bennett um, and uh, yeah so so that's out every Wednesday there's a new issue so um, we're that about halfway great. through the run super exciting yeah 
Well, thank you guys so much for listening. If you want to support our show, you can head over to patreon.com slash sword and laser or get in touch. Feedback at swordandlaser.com. All of our episodes are over at swordandlaser.com. And if you want to call and leave us a voicemail, the phone number is 4157-SWORD-6. We'll see you guys next time. Bye. Bye.